my name is, is Jordan, and I'm a local pastor here with Church 21 in Montreal. Really grateful to be joining you all across the city of Montreal uh, this morning, wherever you're at, in your homes and whatnot. You're probably pretty grateful. I can just look out the window here and see this now. You're probably pretty grateful not to have to <laughs> clean off your car on a morning like this. I get it. Um, you're jumping into a sermon here on repentance and renewal. And this is part of a sermon series that we have specifically made for lockdown, in which, you know, much in the same way that people are uh, remodeling, they're, they're rearranging, they're renovating parts of their house during this time, we wanted to be thinking about, well, how can we be renovating and rearranging parts of ourselves during this time, parts of our hearts, our inner beings? That's what we're after. And so I'm just going to pray and ask God's help that his spirit would be doing that this morning. Specifically, Father, would you move in us, I pray. I need your help, like Dwight prayed. And I pray that you would use this message, Spirit. Thank you, Father. So why do we need uh, renovation, rearrangement inside of ourselves? Um, it's because we're in a crisis. And by crisis... I'm not talking about the crisis that we're all in. That is also a very real crisis. The pandemic is a crisis for sure. But I want to say that there is a greater, a more profound crisis that we're in as well. And that is the crisis that the church is in, that the church, the evangelical church in the West is in a crisis. You might be like, well, what crisis? And I want to say it's the crisis of us, many of us having settled for less that we have not entered into the fullness of everything Jesus has won for us on the cross. I, I was so struck by the quote that Dwight used last week about, uh, from Ravenhill about us playing church. Let me read that for us now. Ravenhill says this. He says, we want big blessings for small installments. We want the birth of revival, but not the pain. Sometime I hope we are going to get sick of playing church and get so angry at our birth poverty and the soul realm that we too will sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, and seek the face of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I for one am sick of playing church. I am done with pseudo-Christianity. The church in the West needs to wake up to the crisis that it's in, and our church is included in that. Guys, we need to wake up. The Spirit of God is at work. I am so grateful to see how he's been working in these past few months, even in this past week. I know, and I've heard so many of you were fasting and praying. I've heard of prophetic words. I heard of somebody's friend who was opposed to God that encountered him for the first time on Thursday. Praise God for that. But there is so much more. Let us not settle for less. The fullness of the Spirit of God has not yet been released on his people. I want more. Do you want more? Why are we settling for less? Let me illustrate this using ancient Israel. There was a time in history where the manifest presence of God dwelt in a temple. And if you or me, if we went to that temple, we would go to the outer courts. We'd be there with our, you know, bring our sacrifices. We'd be bringing our prayers. But it was only the priest who could actually go into the, the temple there. And even that priest, he down at the end of the room would see a thick curtain and for all its, its wonder and for all its mystery behind that curtain where he couldn't go was said to dwell in a hovering space between two golden wings, the manifest presence of God. 
And it was not any time, it was only once a year, and it wasn't anybody, it was only the high priest who could once a year enter into that presence of God in all of its fullness, in all of its goodness, in all of its power, in all of its glory. And what you and I need to realize is that it was at the death of Jesus and actually because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that when Jesus' body was torn apart, so too that temple curtain was torn apart so that you and me could have an all-access pass into that manifest presence of God in all of its glory, in all of its power, in all of its fullness. And so why, why, why have we settled for less, my friends? This is the question. Why? With the curtain removed by the death of Jesus, with his flesh having torn it apart, why are we content to wait around outside? Why are we not just tearing and and calling out to heaven, saying, God, please pour out your presence and all of this fullness and power and glory on us? Why? Why? See, we know there is more. So many of us live years, years of our Christian life. Some of us spent our entire Christian lives sitting outside. And when I ask why, I I know some of the reasons why. I've had lots of conversations. I know my own heart. I said, we're numb. We're numb. We don't desire more. Why why now? Why that though? Don't stop there. Why are we numb? Why don't we desire? Why, Why are we numb to the manifest fullness of God? You push past it. You see that, yeah, the curtain has been removed by Jesus, but what is left is what we have left, and that is our flesh. Our unrepented, unhated, uncrucified sin that we have allowed to continue to take residence in our hearts. And that has to go. As bothering and as shameful as it is for you to experience the presence of God, it must be dealt with. My Christian friend, Jesus has saved you from the penalty of sin, but it doesn't stop there. Just because sin now has no penalty doesn't mean that sin has no power. It's because of the resurrection of Jesus that he gives you a greater power, yes, to fight that sin, but you still must fight it. You still must fight your sin in order for it to lose its grip and power on you. Only then, only then will you begin to experience the full experiential manifest presence in all of its glory and your heart be renewed. And that's what we're after. That's what we're talking about today, repentance and renewal. Now, what is repentance? Give you a definition sort of here. Repentance is conviction of sin in which we confess it and turn from it and to God. We confess our sin because we're convicted by it. And so we, we turn from it and we turn and run to God. Guys, let's stop playing church. Let's be a repentant people and enter into the fullness of what God has for us. So how do we go about this? How do we go about repentance? This is the rest of our time today. We're going to be unpacking Psalm 51. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along because I'm going to be pointing out lots of stuff in the verses. The psalm has a heading which gives us context. It says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So that gives us context. He was David. He was a king of ancient Israel. And there was a year where he sent his men off to war, but he stayed home, chilled at home. And while he was there, he saw the wife of one of his officers 
and he liked her, and so he took her and made her pregnant. And when he realized she was pregnant, he tried to, instead of fessing up for it, he tried to cover it up, and he actually had her wife, the husband, killed. And so what God actually has to use is his friend, the prophet Nathan, has to come and confront David. And when David is confronted, he finally sees the depths of his sin, and he writes this psalm of repentance, Psalm 51. And what I'm, I'm going to use it, I'm going to use this psalm to point out what the Puritans called the instruments of repentance. I'll use five. That repentance is made up of these five things. Seeing your sin, sorrowing your sin, confessing it, hating it, and turning to God. If you have a pen, you might want to Write those down. I know there's a lot. Seeing your sin, sorrowing your sin, confessing your sin, hating it, and turning to God. So let's get into Psalm 51 and verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse my sin. Here you can see David. He is crying out to God. He's appealing to the character of God, his mercy, his steadfast love. He's no question about the depth of his sin. In fact, in verse 5, you see he gets how deep it runs. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And this is the first instrument of repentance. The first part of the process is that we need to see our sin. We need to see our sin. To repent, we need to see our reality before God for what it really is, that we, we are sinners. Sin is rebellion against God, in short. And we get the impression sometimes we hear stories like this, David's adultery, murder. We get the impression, well, sin is like that. It's these sort of rare, deliberate occurrences. But I think the more that I have uh, grown as a Christian, the more that I've realized sin is actually, often it's not like that, rare and deliberate, quite more, more, more accurately, it's actually quite frequent. It's actually quite unconscious in me. Sin is not just deliberate and rare. It's unconscious and frequent. Let me give you an example from my own life, um, my own home this past week. Sandra has just you know, finished getting her maternity uh, benefits or maternity leave, and I had become aware there's a COVID program where you can sort of apply, and the, mon- the government money will keep coming as long as you, you know, check a box saying that you are, you know, you're looking for work. And, you know, a few months ago, Sandra and I had actually discussed how we're not in this season for now. We're not going to be looking for work, but maybe a bit later. And Sandra came to me on Thursday. She said, you know, Jordan, I was praying about this, and you know, what seemed like such a sort of murky decision before, you know, looking around at people around us, we can easily justify this stuff. What seemed sort of murky before looking around, when she looked up in prayer at the holiness of God, it became so apparent to her, I can't do this, this would be dishonest. And actually God was revealing in us how we had a distrust of his ability to actually provide for us to even be muddling around about this kind of thing. And so turning, going to God and, and encountering his holiness, that's sort of like walking into the kitchen. You know, when you walk into my kitchen, you turn up the brights can go, the lights can go really bright. When you do that, it reveals all the dirt, right? That's what the holiness of God is like. And what if we were to do that, right? Sin, frequent, 
unconscious? What, are we to, what happens when we take all of our decisions, when we take the motives that we have in our life and we, we, we bring them into the full light of God's holiness? What does that reveal about us, right? What, is, what does it do? See, that's what scripture actually asks us to do. Paul said, you know, take every thought captive. Not in the light of our standards, but God's. This is why Paul, the writer of this, you know, he's a super, he's an apostle, writes a lot of the New Testament. A super godly guy, right? But this is why he could say, I am the chief of sinners. Was he the biggest sinner ever? Well, no, not not necessarily. But it was as he experienced the holiness of God, he became more aware of his own sin, so much more aware of his own sin that it just dimmed in comparison to anyone else's. I am the chief of sinners. And so like he says, we are to take every thought captive and elsewhere to be transformed by the renewing of our mind because our hearts are deceitful and corrupt. Jesus himself said that out of the abundance of a heart, the mouth speaks. And he would go on later to say the heart, out of it comes this whole laundry list of sins, that our hearts are full of sin. And sin is a jumble of disordered desires and and false beliefs and, and compulsive attitudes, complexes, habits that flow from our time of alienation with God. And so, We must face the reality of our sin for what it is. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, would say that before a man come to Christ, he must first come to himself. And so we have to not only see our sins, but the next instrument of repentance would be to sorrow for our sins. So see our sins and sorrow for our sins. Verse 4 says, and this is David talking to God, against you and you only have I sinned. He gets it. His sin is ultimately against God. And it wasn't that he you know, hadn't sinned against Bathsheba, her husband, the people of Israel. No, they too are all actually made in the image of God. And so a sin against them was an affront against God. One commentator says it like this. David, when face to face with God, he sees nothing else can think of nothing else but his God's presence forgotten, his holiness outraged, his love scorned. Against you and you only have I sinned. See, to truly sorrow for our sin, we will see that it was ultimately an affront against a holy God. This is sorrow. Right? It's just not, not, not just the sorrow of like the loss of a loved one. This is the sorrow of the loss of the experiential and manifest presence of God in our lives. This is a real deep sorrow. What Paul calls a godly sorrow as opposed to a worldly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7.10, he says, For godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly sorrow produces death. In other words, Paul is saying you can, you can false repent. You can have, have worldly sorrow. <laughs> now, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> like certainly like when we mess up, when we make mistakes, when we sin, we feel something going on inside. <laughs> but w- what is worldly sorrow? You know, what ha- we, you know, when people bring stuff up to you, when, p- when somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know, 
I have this concern I want to talk to you about, or, hey, you've hurt me, and I want to address this with you. You know, how do you respond to them in that moment? You know, there's this one time that Sandra noticed a sin in my life. I'm just kidding. It happens all the time. <laughs> it's all the time. I know. Bad joke. Anyway, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say stuff like this. I'll say things like, I can't believe I did that. What am I saying when I say things like, I can't believe I did that? Right? I'm saying like, oh, I'm, I'm better than that. I wouldn't actually. I'm, I'm better than that. See, I'm, I'm focusing on how I've hurt my own reputation. I'm not focusing on how I've hurt Sandra or more or less a holy God when I say something like that, right? I can't believe I did that. See, that's a sort of false repentance. That's what Paul is talking about here, where we want to just make ourselves feel better and just move on, get things back to normal as quickly as possible. And the fruit of this kind of worldly repentance and sorrow is that it, it leads us to become harsh and critical towards others because, well, we think we're better. I'm better than that, right? No, why, why, don't, why don't they get their act together? I can, no. But this is, this is false sorrow. This is, this is what Paul says leads to death, whereas in contrast, godly sorrow, he says, produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Now, this can seem kind of strange to us because if you think about it, sorrow is a form of regret. And yet it says, godly sorrow produces salvation without regret. Well, how? Well, it's because in Christianity, we are able to look our sin full on and feel the sorrow of it and yet be not torn down in the despair of it. How is that possible? How is that possible? Let me, before I say how that's even possible, let me just say this. You might be now with everything I'm saying, all this talk about sin, actually be feeling the full weight of it, be despairing over it. Or you might be at least thinking like, oh, like they have Christians, there's such this negative, pessimistic view of humanity. But let me say this, that you must see that the sorrow is nothing but the darkness before the dawn. This is not a sorrow that leads to despair, but a sorrow that leads to hope. How so? And here it is, because Jesus himself was able to look our sin. He was able to look our sin right in the white of the eye and bear its full brunt of its consequence for us so that we wouldn't have to be torn apart. He was torn apart for us. And that releases us. That brings us life. That removes our shame. That gives us freedom. That is the grace of Jesus for us. That we can have confidence now because of him, our sin will not destroy us. Its penalty has been removed. And when we grasp that, we too are able to look our sin full on the eye for what it is and not sorrow about it anymore. In fact, it's this message, it's this good news, this gospel message that makes us and enables us to become, yes, realistic people about how terrible life is and the sin that we're tangled in. Realistic about that but also to confess our sin, to not just stay realistic about it, but to actually move forward and say, I was wrong, to make a community that is a confessing community, a repentant community before each other and before God. So we're able to see our sin, we're able to sorrow for our sin, and we're able to repent of our sin because of the gospel. 
And so this is the third thing, to confess our sin. See our sin, sorrow for sin, and then confess our sin because of the gospel. David says in verse 4 this, I have done what is evil in your sight. He names it for what it is, that the killing, the deceit, the adultery, all of this was ultimately evil. And this psalm, really the entirety of it, becomes his, his confession before God, his going to God with it. And so let me make a few points uh, quickly about how we confess our sin from this. I'll give you three things quickly. When we confess our sin, name it for what it is. That's the first one. Don't skirt around it. David says in verse 4 that God is justified in his words and blameless in his judgment. See, David is not making any attempt to defer away from his sin, to, 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 to minimize his sin, to, to deny his sin. No, he, he, he names it for what it is. The next thing is to get to the root. Ask yourself, you know, Lord, help, help show me why I did what I did. Show me the thoughts and the intentions of my heart. Like earlier when we see, like, we're, if you're numb, like I was describing, to the presence of God of pursuing that, ask yourself, you know, what is dulling me? What's distracting me from wanting his manifest presence? Is it, is it comfort? Is it success? Is it someone else's approval of me pray and ask god show me what that is get to the root so name it for what it is get to the root and then three and final hide nothing in your confession a real confession won't avoid the skeletons that are in the closet verse six says david says about god he he delights in truth that david delights in truth in the inward being and teaches me wisdom in the secret heart Delights in truth and inward being and teaches me wisdom in the secret heart. We want, like David, the wisdom of God and not skeletons to be in the secret part of our hearts. Would he fill us like that? You see, an encounter with God, an encounter with his grace causes us actually to not hide things, but to rejoice in the truth. One of my favorite examples from this is, is the woman at the well. You remember the woman at the well? She's a lady who, out of probably shame for her sin, she goes to draw water at noon when none of the other townspeople are going to be there. And at noon one day she encounters Jesus in his grace at that well. And do you remember what she says after she encounters that grace? She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. She is now released and unashamed of her sin. There's there's this freedom. There is this joy that can be released when we repent before God. This is the beauty and the power of the gospel. Do you know this kind of freedom? Do you know this kind of release that repentance can produce in your heart? Or is there sin that in shame, you know if you're honest, that you're hiding from others? Or even worse, God. (laughs) He can release you from that. There is freedom that can be had. (laughs) Go to him. You see, Satan, instead, if you just stick around with this and try and hide it away, Satan's a predator. He wants you in the dark. But bring it out into the light. Bring it into the light of God's presence and your sin there can begin to wither. And so in your confession, just to cap those three up, name your sin, get to the root of your sin, and hide nothing. Let's keep going. So after confessing your sin, 
the next, so you want to see your sin, sorrow for your sin, confess your sin. The next is to hate your sin, the fourth instrument of repentance. See, if you falling, uh, if you, sorry, if you find yourself falling for the same sins over and over again, it's possible that you have been engaged in a cycle of false repentance. And what this fourth instrument of repentance does, um, if you've been stuck in that cycle of sinning over and over again, this fourth one uh, forces you to come to terms with what is actually happening. See, while you might say, I love Jesus and I believe in Jesus, yes, he's my rescuer, yes, he's my king, the reality is, is that if you're continually stuck in a cycle like this, that functionally, your heart loves that sin. Your heart loves what what pleasure is derived from that sin or what affirmation is coming from that sin or whatever else. And what you have to see is that you need to cut that love out in order to stop pursuing it. you, You wouldn't pursue that sin if you didn't love it. And so we need to hate our sin, cry out to God, God, change the desire of my heart, actually help me to hate this thing because functionally I know I'm loving it or I wouldn't be pursuing it. I wouldn't be stuck in this cycle in this way. So cry out to him, say, Lord, I renounce this sin. Help me to change my desires, okay? You see David, David doing that in verse seven and eight. He's like, man, like get this stain off of me, like purge me, clean me, get me whiter than snow. I am so done with this thing. David is hating his sin. The Puritans would say this, until, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Hate your sin and turn to God. That's our final instrument of repentance. Turn to God. And I would say it's also the most important one. That if we leave that appetite, that we once filled with sin as empty, we'll inevitably try and fill it with something else. And so we have to not just turn from sin, but turn to God to fill it with something else, with his satisfaction, with his goodness, with his grace, with his beauty. He is so much more compelling than that sin when we truly encounter him for who he is. And that is why it is so important that we actually get to know him for who he is in all of his fullness. Listen to what David says and what he asks of God in verse 7 through 12. Let's, let's unpack this. I'll read 7 to 12 for you. Purge me with hyssop, he says, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore in me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You notice this, he's, he's saying to God, purge me, wash me, blot me out of iniquities, creep, you know, renew me, restore me. See, David's hope, it's not in his confession, it's not in, his, in psychology or anything else or other people. His hope is ultimately placed in God. See, we ultimately do not have the ability to purge ourselves, cleanse ourselves, restore ourselves, renew ourselves. Only God does. And so we cry out to him, restore in us, O God, the joy of our salvation. See, it's that same grace that I was talking about before that saves us, that also cleans and renews us. This is a grace-filled effort that we are embarking in in this. 
It is a grace-filled thing. This is David. You see him crying out, pursuing passionately God and his presence and, and the redemption and the, the cleaning from his sin. It's a grace-filled effort. You see, David, he doesn't do it on his own. <laughs> if he tried to do it on his own, it would be nothing but the despair he was already feeling. Or, worse yet, he would think he was successful and get pharisaical, self-righteous, proud about it. But it's also not an effortless grace on the other hand. So it's not just effort, and it's not an effortless grace. No, David, he's pursuing God. He's pursuing his holiness. So it's this grace-filled effort. Why is it a grace-filled effort? I'll give you quickly two things. Repentance is painful. Look at verse 8. He says, let the bones you have broken rejoice. I love this. I love this. The, you know, I had a there was a kid in elementary school. He broke his bone. It was messed up. They got an x-ray. And in order for it to heal properly, the doctor was like, yo, it's been a while. I'm going to have to, to break this again and then set it so that you can heal. And that's what God does for us. He, God breaks us. He sets us so that he can heal us. And it's painful, right? But there's a rejoicing. There's a freedom in things being set right. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. There's a grace-filled effort. <laughs> How does this happen? Well, like I was saying, we, we don't just turn from our sin, but we must turn to God. Turn to God, and bit by bit, you will find his grace. Bit by bit, you will find his kindness. Bit by bit, you will find his beauty. Bit by bit, you will find his goodness changing you from the inside out and so you see in verse 13 through 15 the intimacy the joy and the depth that David is beginning to experience again with God he's beginning to sing again he says restore me the joy of my salvation and by 15 Lord open my lips and let my mouth declare your praise he is being released back into a heart of worship like we were singing at the beginning you see forgiveness when we repent forgiveness releases that that burden and restores that communion that we so long for with God. The manifest presence of God, the fullness of God, the power of God, the glory of God, all of it becomes released in our life in power. That is what we want. We want his presence. Do you want his presence? That is what we need. But you see, to get there, we need to be pursuing repentance. Lord, open my lips and let my mouth declare your praise. What are you pursuing in 2021? What are the sort of goals that you have set? Is one of them that you would pursue God for all of his fullness? Is one of them that you would be pursuing a life of daily repentance and contrition before him so that you would see more of his glory revealed in your life? You see, as much as repentance is a painful thing, it is a joy-filled thing because it releases the windows of heaven in your life. Let me close by taking us through a few ways that we can apply this. First is that if you are now, as I'm speaking to you, experiencing what I'm calling here godly sorrow, what Paul, Jesus called godly sorrow, I would urge you in this moment, do not delay. Like, 
stop right now. You can just mute me. What I say from now on is unimportant. You can mute me, and you need, just need to talk to the Lord right now. Come before him in that godly sorrow and, and, and repent before him. Confess your sin to him, and he will be able to release in you a fresh wind of the Spirit, and you will experience freedom and joy like you have never known before. This is the power of God and his grace in your life. Do not delay. Next, pray that you will hate it and set boundaries and, and some accountability with friends. Next, if you have wronged someone, uh, confess it to them. Name your sin for what it is. Don't try and hide any part of it. No, name it for what it is. Say, this is how my sin hurt you. Show uh, show how you understand its effect on them and then ask for their forgiveness. They don't owe you forgiveness, but you can ask for it. If you've repented for the first time today, here's another way we can apply this. If this is the first time you've ever shown repentance, well, Jesus calls us to get baptized. Often those phrases go together, repent and be baptized. So if this was an initial moment of repentance for you, I want to hear about it. Shoot me an email. You can click. There's a button. Um, click it in the chat. But we want to hear about that. And then we'll try and arrange for you to express that repentance as soon as possible in baptism, provided, you know, conditions change. <laughs> um, next is that, you know, maybe you're at a place, you'd hear me talking about, yeah, there's the initial compent, uh, repentance when you become a Christian, but how do I, Jordan, how do I pursue ongoing repentance? How do I do this sort of daily work of life in the spirit? I mean, I just don't know where to start, you know? I get to the point in my prayer where it's like, okay, now it's time. I know I need to confess the Lord, but what am I going to confess? I don't know. What do I need to repent of? How do I actually pursue daily repentance? Let me give you a few pointers on this now. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. <laughs> See, what that does, uh, among a lot of things, is that it turns us from focusing in on ourselves and focusing back on God. And there we see that the same grace that saved us is cleaning us, is sanctifying us. And so we need to be reminded of that daily. That, that's what being transformed by the renewing of our mind is all about. So preach the gospel to yourself daily. That can help you pursue daily repentance. Another thing you can do is review your day. So like what thoughts do you notice keep coming up? What are these? There's like sometimes you get this stuff that's like stuck in your head. It's like a broken record. Thought patterns in your day. What are those reoccurring thoughts? And what are they saying about, about where you're at with God? Another thing you can do while you're reviewing your day is like where are the points in my day where I have latent anxiety like sort of like ongoing like low grade like something's just bothering me here see it could be david says in in psalm 32 um which is another psalm where he talks about him processing through the same sin that we were you know talking about today he says that when he tried to repress his sin when he tried to just move on from it that he says his bones groaned all the day long, and that his strength was, was dried up. And it could just be, I'm just going to say, maybe, it's possible that if you are feeling uh, a sort of latent distress, if you are feeling drained, that you just might be repressing guilt. That's me being absolutely honest to you. It is possible, okay? And so I would say, do what David did, where he cries out to God, and he says, Lord, search me, O God. Know my heart, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. 
All right? So you, if, if you're experiencing some sort of low-grade thing, ask God to search your heart. That's another thing you can do while you're reviewing your day. You can also see, was there a relational tension? Did you get into fights with people? Maybe there's stuff you need to confess. Another thing where you're going over the day, what was your best and worst feeling? Sandra always asked me this. What was your best feeling today, Jordan? I don't know. But as, like, as you start to practice that, <laughs> um, my wife is very good with her feelings. As you start to practice that, you, you, you see that your feelings, they're, they're not determiners, but they're indicators of what's going on in your heart. And so you need to pay attention to them. And so this is another way that you can help, you know, that helps you pursue daily repentance. So reviewing your day by thinking, what are my reoccurring thoughts? What, uh, what is causing me latent anxiety? Is there relational tension? What, what are the feelings um, that I'm experiencing today? And what do they say? And then final way you can pursue daily repentance is to invite trustworthy uh, spiritual friends to speak into your life. That could be, you know, your change group partner, somebody, the, the MMC, um, a, you know, a spouse, this kind of thing. Invite them to, to call out your sin. See, David, he needed his friend Nathan to confront him. And so the question I would ask uh, for you on this is, is this. Have you made space in your life and relationships so that a Nathan could actually speak? Have you made space in your life and relationships so that a Nathan would actually be able to confront you? Maybe it's the person next to you on the couch right now. I I don't know. (laughs) But invite those trustworthy spiritual friends to, to be speaking into your life. All of these things together are ways that you can help pursue daily repentance. So let me close with this. <clears throat> there, um, there may be some of you here who are not having a hard time seeing your sin. What you're actually having a hard time with is seeing the grace that God extends to you in your sin. <laughs> and if that's you, let me just say this to you. That the Father's heart is for you. The Father's heart is for you so much that he went all the way to the extent of the cross and was torn apart in Jesus for you, like I explained earlier. And so if you see the extent that he went for you at the cross, this is his grace on display for you. That yes, your sin is deep. Yes, your sin is great. But so much greater still the mercy and the love of God extended for you at the cross. And so if you're struggling with this, I would invite you, read through this Psalm 51. You are not David, but make yourself David in that Psalm. Read it as if it's you in the first person and say, God, create in me a clean heart. Restore in me the joy of my salvation. And I trust that the promises of God will be true, that you will be able to open forth your lips again and worship and sing forth the praises of God in a whole new way, a heart renewed and restored by the mercy of God. That is what he is able to do. Repentance leads to renewal. And it's this internal renewal, guys, that's, that when it, this is what Mark Sayer says, he says that revival is personal renewal gone viral. And isn't this what we need in our time? Isn't this what we need in our day? Guys, 
the Bible says that if, if the people of God will, will cry out to him and humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, that he will hear from heaven and heal our land. And are we not in a time when our nation needs healing? Are we not in a time where our church and our people and our families and our own hearts need healing? Will you not turn to God and confess your sin and humble yourself before his face and cry out to him and he in his mercy will release such grace and power and goodness in your life that your spirit will overcome you and you will never be the same and this church will never be the same and this city will never be the same. This is what is possible when we pursue the manifest presence of God. God, would you move this way in our hearts this morning? Would we look back on this time in lockdown and say, Lord, we have never been the same. We have been changed by your presence and power and the manifest presence of God is now upon us and we are bold and courageous and stand up and go out with you, with singing, with joy, with repentant hearts, all of it, Father, we want it. In Jesus' name, release it on us, the fullness of your spirit. This is my prayer and our prayer, O God, in Jesus' name, amen.